ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. So we're on with Mr. Jonathan Metcalf. John, what's up, brother? How we doing, bro? Well, we're doing good, man. Just uh, grinding away, man. Getting ready for September, man. Uh, waiting on these draws. Colorado uh, might put in for that tonight just as a backup in case Wyoming denies me. It likes to deny me. <laughs> and then Wyoming uh, scared me a little earlier this year, man, with uh, trying to keep the non-res uh, tag numbers down. So, yeah, just getting a, getting a little bit antsy, man. Applied in Arizona. That was that was crazy, but I tell you what, you uh, pulled the trigger on moving up north here from there of California, and you can alleviate that problem. Yeah, the, <laughs> the problem is, man, it's like jumping uh, from the frying pan to the fire, so to speak, with, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the way the PNW and the politics are looking, man, it's... Uh, really don't look that much different outside of, you know, some, some elk, uh, opportunities. No, I'm sure that we'll have to ask our elk before we shoot them by the end of the year, what they identify as before we can tag them. Yeah. Uh, Horns on my head. I'm a cow. Horn cows, man. Scary. You know, that six point cow that, yeah, the the monarch she's a, six point. She's a monarch. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It is it is a crazy world. Um I don't know if it's getting any or can it get any crazier? I guess it could, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I wouldn't even go down that train of that that path. That train of thought could be <laughs> Headed right out of brick wall, man. <laughs> well, I digress, man. So, <laughs> elk. <laughs> so now, man, I want to get you on, and uh, you know what? What uh, better time 
of the year than talk about elk, man, as, as folks are really, you know, getting, getting that app stuff done and, and waiting on tags and looking at prepping. And, you know, I get phone calls, uh, seems like every day now, man, guys asking questions about, you know, e-scouting and what they're looking at, things like that. And one of the things with you, I mean, you know, in terms of elk hunting, right. And, and a lot of what we see in here is, you know, we're, we're reflecting on years of experience, right. And, and, you know, years of knowledge and, uh, there's a lot of talk about calling and, one of the things that you've done really well in your, you know, call it, you know, infancy, right. As, as an elk hunter, um, in the big picture of things is taking an opportunity and really dissecting that opportunity and recording that data to play into your benefit, uh, in the elk woods, man, which is a big, big deal, right? Not everybody can put those pieces together, um, in any hunting for that matter. Right. But you've, you've done really well in that. So I wanted to get into that and kind of dissect it a little bit, but then also talk about the importance of gaining that knowledge and what that does to your game overall. Right. Because if, if calling fails, um, which a lot of times it does, and, and I've seen, you know, where, and, and it could be, a, you know, a little bit of my lack of knowledge, but where the bulls are silent, man. And it's really, what am I seeing? What am I finding? And how do I get on these animals? Right. Well, I appreciate the compliment. First of all, man, I appreciate the opportunity to share the little bit that I've got figured out for myself, you know, hopefully somebody can take away from this and add to their setup for sure. Uh, data is king. I'll start with that. You know, data is, that is king. And really, I think the most underutilized thing is, being able to like you need to maximize your time not necessarily just boots on the ground or like in september chasing them when you can kill them but you need to you need to like stack the deck in your favor beforehand and i mean what it really comes down to is you know watching that game tape if you will like learning your opponent so i'm excited to share with you man so okay so before we get in there what what about elk What about elk in what facet? What not about elk? <laughs> hey, there it is right there. That's the answer, right? Because, I mean, there, there's kind of this, there's the there's this allure about them, right? And you always hear, like, you know, the majestic wapiti, or they're so majestic. But there's so much more. It's such a dynamic pursuit, right? And I think as, as similar as, as the pursuit is from hunter to hunter, there's so many nuances in that pursuit that, that drives me to ask that question, right? Because it's... It, it means something different for everybody, um, you know, whether it be, you know, just the the physicality of it or the mental challenge of it or that, you know, big, you know, pushing 400 bull. Um, it, it's an interesting question if you really start to dissect it, because as as much as we see commonality across the ground, man, everybody has their own definition of what that pursuit means. Right. And like for me, I mean elk it started as like just something like it was a dream you know like everybody i mean let's get back to the old school days before it was frowned upon to talk about looking at antlers over your mantle or your fireplace there you know but like like when you walked into a house when i was growing up and stuff like that and you saw like let's just say set of elk antlers on the wall compared to like a set of deer antlers there was just something about it that was 
was like, whoa, what is that thing? You know, it's the ghost of the woods, you know. And I believe Wapiti means ghost deer. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I believe that's what the Native Americans named it back in the day is the ghost deer. So, I mean, it's just a fascinating animal to me, especially when you get up close to them. I mean, as you can attest, Guy, like there's there's no shrinkage on that animal when you see it standing there in front of you it's every bit as big if not bigger than your nine months of imagination has led you to believe you know yeah it's quite the opposite with them (laughs) yeah you're almost like taken back like how the hell am i gonna get that thing out of the woods if i kill it yeah how the (laughs) hell is that thing so big creeping in on me yeah i mean that's a whole different conversation right like that's where you get those quick feet i guess or those light feet i mean those things are they're just incredible animals and uh, you know to be honest with you like over the years now i guess and not to sound like some old timer super season guy because you know i haven't been doing this super super long or nothing like but just in the years of my pursuit, what's really changed is just being able to evaluate it to my life as far as like how it's helped me kind of develop other characteristics within personal growth, you know, like being able to pursue a dream and and get it done, but then not only pursue one dream and get it done, but to see that through again, you know, and then to help somebody else do that. I mean, it's just... There's not a pursuit on the world like it to me, mm-hmm. you know? So data is know. king. Give us, give us a little bit of explanation on that. Right. That that's, that's a kind of a wide statement. Um, what does that mean in terms of your elk pursuit? So to me, like data is data. When I say data is king, I mean like data is everything. The more data and information you have, the more you can set yourself up to make the right player to be in the right position when it counts, you know? And, uh, unfortunately like last year, Kobe Bryant passed and that was really tragic, but let's just use him as an example here for a second. And, and his pursuit to become one of the NBA's greatest, that guy went to the free throw line or that guy showed up to games a couple hours beforehand to shoot layups and shoot hoops so that he was ready. You know, he didn't just show up and compete. Um, So I think that there's something to be said about that when it comes to data as king. What I mean is like you have to take in every outside. I don't know that pressure is the word circumstance. How's that circumstance that I think is a better word for it and be able to manipulate that into something that favors you when the clock is ticking. You know what I mean? Cause there's, you know, you say there's only so many Septembers and stuff like that, but I mean, let's, let's break that down to a basic level. Like there's only so many days in a season that you have. And you know, you get in Oregon, you get roughly 30 days to shut up or put up and that's it. I mean, there's no, there's no, like it didn't happen during archery. So now I get to carry my archery tag into rifle and, try again in a little bit different circumstances, you know, be it, be it rut status or whatever, like, you know, like, or, you know, behavioral phases of the animal, but like you, you either show up for archery season. If you draw that tag and you get it done or you walk home or you go home thinking about 
next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the only option. That's there's no maybes or this or that. It's black and white. You either do it or you don't. So that's. <clears throat> so if you break that thirty days down, though, right? I know for you last year, you were working like a madman and that 30 days, I mean, you know, what did you really have to spend in the woods to try and get it done? And I think that plays into your data is King statement, right? Um, You know, in terms of time, there's guys that, you know, they're that are, are weekend warriors and that's not a bad thing, but capitalizing on data and those things in that, you know, that shortened time frame, there's not most folks won't get to hunt elk, you know, 20 days, let alone 30 in a season. Right. So for me last year, I worked 3,200 man hours. So I was running probably an average of 75 hours a week, pushing mid 90s sometimes pretty frequently in the, the 80 to 85 hours a week uh, range. And then not to mention my state decided it wanted to catch on fire eight days into the season or whatever it was about a week and a half, two weeks into the season, my state caught on fire and, pretty much shut down the majority of anything close to me. So my total time in field last year was, I think I hunted six days. So, yeah, I mean, there's, when I say data is king, I mean, if you have a limited selection, let's just go to the weekend warrior thing. If you're, you're working to get your life right or provide for your family or whatnot, you may not be able to swing and that doesn't make you any less of an elk hunter. Let me just say that it doesn't, take away from everybody's got priorities and I would encourage people to you know before you chase being able to hold antlers on on social media or whatnot you you better get your house right first I would obviously encourage that but like if you got a short amount of time to get it done you you really don't got much leeway for guessing Mm -hmm. you don't got much leeway for for hoping that okay I took the entire month of September off. I bet by the moon phase, the when the moon phase is preferable or whatnot, you know what I mean? Like that, that's where in this area, those bulls are going to start, they're going to start piping off and I'm going to be in a rut fest. And at the latest I got, you know, that last week when it's really going to try, you don't get that luxury when you get at the most, you know, a Friday night hunt, a Saturday hunt, and a Sunday morning hunt a week, you know, you don't, you don't get that. And I think a lot of people also forget that these animals are, they, they're running a behavioral pattern and, and just what they do. So even more so on that, like understanding how they roam the landscape and why they're where they're at and when they are, where they are, what puts them there becomes crucial because if you don't factor that in you know you like when you're only hunting say two days a week or two and a half days a week then where you left off with those animals does not mean that's where they are now when you go back into it next weekend they could be three miles away on a different part of their 14 day run or whatever so i mean that's where you know to get back to the data is king thing that's where i think like you got to set yourself up for success if you will like put put as many aces in your pocket as you can. So what, what do those aces look like? So 
that's a great question. So for me, those aces are, are I, I want to know, like, when I approach something, like say we're walking in morning, it's opening morning, and when I go in and I'm hunting in an area, I think it's really, really beneficial to know if that area you're hunting is like a morning transition type of thing, or is it an evening transition type of thing where they're coming out of bed and going to feed or where they're feeding, going to bed, or is it you have a spot that you found them and it's the middle of the day when they're they're not really out other than getting up to mill around, get a drink of water, but they're pretty much bedded down and laid up. I mean, so that's an ace, right? It's like understanding why that elk is where he is and when he is where he is. So if you see an elk say on a clear cut at 4 PM, that doesn't mean that you can expect to see that said elk on the same clear cut at 6 AM the next morning. It just, it, that doesn't mean that they're in the same place. It doesn't mean that that's where they live or that's where they hang out and that's where they're going to be. Like you got to understand, you know, why, like, why would he be there at that time? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of like little underlying things. And then you could go to like, okay, where, where did I see him? Did I see him in a clear cut? Was I walking through a cut or like a, some, was I walking through some dark timber and all of a sudden I heard branches breaking and there was a bed and, you know, I see an elk shape, if you will, running away, like, you just got to understand what that circumstance that you're dealing with is. So to me, that's an ace. Uh, an ace would also be knowing that, for example, for myself and and the guys I hunt with, one of the spots that we've been pretty, pretty good with so far, like we have them to like, when they're there, they're there at this around these times and you hunt that this way and they're, they're there for, you have a three day window and then they'll be gone and then they'll be back for the next weekend for that same thing. And then they're gone from that area for good. <laughs> Granted that is, I'm hunt, like a lot of our successes come from hunting them in the, the bachelor phase when they're transitioning into those pre rut areas and staging areas, if you will. So, so that's another ace. Okay, so walk us through your process, right? So, so as you're collecting aces, right? Because that's not that's not something that you could walk in on opening day, right? You you can't walk in. I mean, you, you can, right? You can pull those bits and pieces together, and, and some guys do it really well. But there's a lot of hope and luck in that scenario. So you spend a lot of time collecting your aces. So walk us through that process. How does that look throughout the year? What are you utilizing? And then uh, even go even further as, as to why you're utilizing those things. Okay. So for me, like the biggest thing is the first, the first thing I do would be, you know, on a normal year where I haven't been crazy busy with work, I'm kind of slacking this year. Um, especially since my area just burned and a lot of it's closed, I'm kind of starting at throwing a dart at a blank map this year. So it's kind of fun and exciting, but frustrating at the same time because everything that I have data on for five years or four and a half years now is like 
gone back to zero. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. either you can't access it or entirely burned. So not to say it won't be good again, but all their bedding, all their feeding areas, all their transition, all that's going to change because the terrain's changed. The landscape has, you know what I mean? Um, so for me, like I would have started back like on a normal year back in probably the end of January, you know, even end of December, I'm out there kind of poking around looking, but really in that end of January, February timeframe, most of the underbrush has died. So that's when I'm out pounding ground and I'm just looking for elk trails at that point and elk sign and following them because a lot of it's exposed. Whereas say if you're out there in May or June or July, all that brush has grown back. So it will cover up a lot of those escape routes or those less like those trails that are a little bit less used. Maybe that one bull has this one particular bull might have a certain little wallow that he hits or water spot that it might be in a very brushed in spot that, you know, you would totally miss it if you were there looking for it at the wrong time of year. Whereas once you start running those trails and stuff like that, you can kind of start to draw a map on how these elk are really negotiating and and navigating their landscape. So that's one thing I would do is I would get out there early and I would pound the ground and just literally you could run onyx or base map whatever you use and track yourself so you can so you can literally look at a map and see how these elk are navigating and then you could look at things like where is that on like say it's a slope thing where is that on the hillside is it a quarter of the way down is it three quarters of the way down you know what i mean is it at the midpoint what's the cover around there like what's the what is I mean, you can get as deep as what is the vegetation. And when I say the vegetation, like what kind of trees are there? And what are you seeing in those trees? Are you seeing rubs? What is, are those trees near water? Now, one secret that I have that some people will probably kick me for telling this about is like, for example, an alder tree. Every time I see an alder tree, that tells me that there's water. When I get into them swampy wet areas, there's always alder trees and it could be in the middle of a pine patch and you start to find alders. That's where you start to find those little wet seeps or those swamps or those random little creeks that are running. So, you know, it's to the point where I can like drive down a gravel road and look off and I can look across the cut and just look at the trees to tell me what I need to know. Um, as far as, you know, the vegetation and, and what to expect when I drop into that, uh, canyon. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I can, without even having to drop into it or without even having to see, uh, that there is water, I can now look across and know, okay, somewhere in that general vicinity is a water source is always oh, a wet spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because of the vegetation. So, you know, that, those are little things like, you know, following them, learning that, uh, finding out, okay, you know, understand the difference between like a rut rub and a, and a rub where the, the bull is just raking off velvet. Uh, what do those trees look like? Excuse me. What do those trees look like? Um, what kind of tree are they? What's the size, right? Then you can get into, okay, well, how, how often does it look like they frequent that area? Does, 
when you walk into that area, does it look like they were there all summer? Or does it look like they were there yesterday and there's piles of shit or, excuse me, poop or whatever, brand new beds that are just stomped into the ground? I mean, those are all little tiny pieces of data that you can collect to be able to, at one point in time, reflect, look outwardly on and be like, holy cow, let me put this map together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, now I'm understanding... Oh, okay. This was a really cool area. I got elk running around in here. There's tons of elk sign. There's an argument to be said from some people, depending on what they eat, like on what the consistency of their their poop looks like, you know. But like I, so I have some friends that don't think that you can tell by looking at poop whether it's a bull or a cow. And I have, I personally believe like there's bulls make the giant pellets, cows make the little sprinkled kind of like what you typically see as deer, whereas bulls are more clumped together, like in an actual, not to sound weird, but turd formation. Right. You know, like, and those are all things that you need to take note of. Am I seeing a bunch of bull turds in here? Am I seeing a bunch of cow turds? Am I seeing bull tracks? Am I seeing cow tracks? And then being able to understand that those animals, once they hit a certain maturity level, and when I say a certain maturity level, most of the time, once those bulls hit that like two and a half year old mark, they're not hanging out with the cows like the spikes and their little, you know, year and a half old. Like once they get that two years, they're they're running with other bulls. You know what I mean? Outside of when it's time to breed. So like being able to really understand that aspect of it, I guess, if you will, like those little tidbits of information and break them down will really help you detail your map. So, but that all comes to like, you know, like there's ways to do it without boots on the ground. Don't get me wrong, but let's just say going with the perspective of how I do it, that's all comes back to starting in January, getting out and hitting those trails when they show themselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that, that is, commonplace right is is find the cows you know find the bulls right and we start talking about september um and depending on where that that rut phase is or where we're at in the rut you know that's all applicable and like you said earlier you guys are really hunting uh bachelor groups of bulls so i want folks to be clear yeah we're, we're you know talking about dissecting the uh the scat or the feces or the poop or the turd as john called it um <laughs> they they are directly targeting bachelor groups of bulls uh, because of where they're at um, in in that uh, in that phase that pre rut phase. Yes, but in the off season, guy, keep in mind once the breeding is done, those bulls return to their little groups. That's right. They 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 stop being enemies and they start becoming tolerable of each other. You know, after a little bit of recovery, they start being where they run together and stuff like that. So what I'm saying on that is like, you can't, and I'm not saying you misunderstood me. I'm just trying to clarify that you can't put any of that by the wayside because it will very much tell you what sex of animal you're, you're, you're learning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the behavior between a cow in the off season and the, and a bull in the off season is 
two entirely different things. Now, yes, they're elk and they do just, they do the same things and this and that, but you also got to understand that a cow is looking for the safest area and getting ready to have like have her calves and she's a lot more social. And then your bulls, like they're still social animals, but they're more off kind of doing their own thing. You know, like feed is their only concern. They're not, I mean, sanctuary is an instinct to them, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's not even the same facet, if you will. And I'm not saying you don't catch them where if you glass one part of the cut, you might see cows over here and you might see bulls over there and they don't interact. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what, it, what I'm saying is where they spend the majority of their time is not together outside of when they're getting ready to breed. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you need to be able to look at that. And then, you know, it all starts with understanding is where you are on the clock. And this doesn't just mean like, oh, the rut phase or this or that. I mean, where literally are you? What time of year are you on the mountain? You know, what is going on that's relevant to what you are? You know, some of these bulls are getting ready to shed and they're coming out of a hard winter, right? So typically speaking, south-facing slopes, right? That's like a gimme that you can hear everywhere that people talk about. South-facing slope, they're, they're getting the sun, they're getting out of the weather, they're looking for fresh green up, they're waiting for the snow to melt. You know, they're in their little pockets where they feel protected, but they're doing that. And then same with cows, you know, south-facing slopes, this and that, but they're also, they also know that they're getting ready to give birth. Right. I mean, it's an animal. They know it's instinctual. So they're, they're also looking at, you know what I mean? Like how, how can they maximize their nutrition with, with minimal output? Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? How do they get the most out of their things? So those are all little things that you have to do, but it really, it comes back to understanding is why you are where you are. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Like does. Time of year. So, Let's let's talk about one of those nuances, right? So we talk about rubs, right? And you and you got your you got your your velvet rubs, right? Or your or your uh, your rut type rubs, right? Which are typically deeper gouges and maybe a little higher up on uh, on some of that uh, some of that trees and whatnot. There, what you know, you put yourself in a position, call it you know, end of January, middle of February, and you come across rubs, the lighter rubs. Um, that doesn't, you know, a guy might get excited about that, right? I remember when I first stepped into the Elk Woods on a scout, man, and I'm looking and I and I come into all these rubs, um, but nothing was, there was no veracity in the damage, if, if you know what I mean. Um, it was just very light. It's like, okay, there's a rub here. Um, nothing, nothing like you see it when you find that area and, and you can tell that that bull is just going all out um on those trees or you know small aspens or whatever it is right piecing that piecing that little bit of stuff together and understanding the differences or the nuances of what you're finding is is a big deal because yeah, it can I mean, you gotta really be able to look at something mm -hmm. aggression shows you know what i mean if if i punch a wall and i'm just punching a wall shadow boxing you know you might be able to see because maybe i had some dirt on my hands or something you know what i mean maybe i just got off work you might be able to see i put a little tiny knuckle print if i'm mad or i'm trying to establish my point and i punch a wall and there's a hole in the wall well 
there's definitely just looking at it right doing some fbi work here (laughs) some csi stuff you're going to be able to tell pretty quickly the intent Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you have to look at it kind of like that um you know know, did they rub on the tree or did they rip the tree out of the ground right you know what i mean did they was it a little tiny tree and then there's like little marks where you can tell maybe they were touching up their tips or this and that, or did they stick their head in it and shred it on both sides and take off every branch they could and then move over to another one and do the same thing. I mean, these are, those are very like, you just kind of got to read the emotion, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like that's on the rubs thing, but I, I do want to back up a little bit because I know one thing that, you know, me and you have talked about in the past or you and I have talked about in the past is that, you know, trail cameras, um, being able to convert that. And I don't use trail cameras to pick out what animal I'm going to hunt. I mean, I think that's silly. What I use trail cameras for is to, to give me the bits of information that I can't get because I can't live in the woods. You know what I mean? I leave it as my eye in the tree, if you will, that is able to put a timestamp to an animal. And that picture, that one photo, there's a lot of information I can get from that. You know what I mean? Elaborate on that a little bit. Okay. So let's say with the trail camera, Um, you know, I've been very fortunate that the last three elk we've killed, I have photos of. It's not intended. It's just how it worked out. You know, there's a lot of guys that can, can't really say that, you know, cause it's really hard to compute. But when you spend enough time psychoanalyzing, if you will, that, that, that photo or those photos, that information, it can really, without you having to be there, give you like a blueprint to the, the inner workings of that particular let's just say micro herd or, or even specific animal. Um, so if you get a trail camera picture, let's talk about some basic things you can get time. What time was that bolt? What time was that picture taken? Okay. You can get a date. It will tell you the day you can get a direction. Okay that elk is moving in this picture from left to right or is he moving up or is he moving down to get what I'm saying by that like it will give you a direction that that animal is moving okay it will also give you if you let them soak let's just say you have a picture on one day that gives you a date and the animal is going left to right and then 14 days later or 11 days later or whatever, you have another picture of said animal and it's the same elk or the same group of elk, whatever. There's there's distinguishable markings that you can get also from that photo. That will also tell you, okay, well, he was moving left to right on this day. And then 11 days later, he was also moving left to right. So what's that give you? It gives you travel behavior. That elk is coming from this area or that direction. Now that's where you get to get into your super nerd and well, why, you know, and that's where you take the look back and you start to look at, okay, well, if I play with this here and I put cameras here and there, 
It gives you a frequency and it can even give you like a, a timeline that you can match pretty consistently minus, you know, you never can help if a logging company goes up there and starts logging and pushes them off their, their, their cycle. Mm -hmm. But you know, where a predator scares them off one day, you know, that might change the cycle by a day or two. But what it does is it gives you the, the information to know that every X amount of days, this becomes a pattern. So now you have a patternable behavior to start to really playing with and, and twisting or manipulating your data, your data collection on that specific animal. Am I, uh, I know I'm talking of kind of in circles here and kind of fast, but am I making sense at all? No, ab absolutely. I was going to say, and it also, it also allows you to look further, right? Call it to the right because they're running left to right or moving left to right. It, and also you might've said, Hey, this is the spot for, you know, whatever reason for the camera, uh, you get that pattern and that might send you, you know, to the right, um, you know, a mile further or whatever, you know, and you pick up other sign or you, you find somewhere else to set that cam. Um, and if you're not seeing them, you know, travel back right to left, uh, for the sake of this conversation, you know, then they're, they're yeah. looping below or they're looping above. I, I think there's, there's information to be had, um, in, in all of that. Right. So like on my, our last, when I say my, it's our group, you know, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm just, the crazy one that divulged down the data hole first, if you will, and and, and started like asking. I really started just asking why. Why did I? Why am I seeing elk sign here? Why is there a bed here? When? And you know why led to when? Led to what? Led to who? Or which? In this case, which elk? You know, um, and then what? And it obviously led to what? Like what time? referring to time of year, you know, what frequency. And so in my last setup before it all burned, keep in mind, <laughs> everything burned. So kind of starting from scratch this year, which it's actually going to be, it will be fun. You know what I mean? I still know what I know and it'll be interesting to see going into something entirely new, how to build that data collection all over again with what I've learned from where I'm at, you know, Oh, we'll go back to that. Don't let me for, forget to talk about replicating what you've learned. Mm -hmm. Don't let me forget that, please. Oh, we can't. I think that's yeah. a very important thing. It absolutely. Yeah. Is. Um, but like, so for me on my, on our last spot, like I had looking at Onyx, I had six different bedrooms of which one we called the lower bedroom, which is where we killed them. And then a middle bedroom and an upper bedroom. And ironically, the upper bedroom is where I would get the majority of the pictures. Let's just say I would start getting pictures that middle of March, last week of April. I mean, they were in their middle of March. But I really started seeing them that last week of April pretty consistently, you know, every 14 days or whatever for the sake of the conversation. And then those bulls would disappear at the end of July. And they did not return because I've left my cameras in there and picked them back up in February. And the last picture I had of those elk being there was in July. You know what I mean? Like they never came back. So like that tells me a big portion. Like, let's just talk about that for a second. What I just learned from that bedroom and marking 
that thing is that, okay, well, that particular bedroom was their summer range. And so it's clear as day when you have the same bowls on three different bedrooms and you're getting pictures that when they stop showing up at one, well, that tells me that probably the rut activity is lower down the mountain. Do you get what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. they're no longer there. And that's also understanding that you're getting to that time of year where they're behaviorally speaking, they're starting to shift to those pre-rut eight stages of their life, like, or of the year where they're getting, they're getting to, they're going to start moving closer to the cows. They're going to start establishing their dominance. Like who's who this year? You know what I mean? The alpha and the omega stuff. And then, you know, it, it really just helps you be able to dissect. Okay. If I went up here opening weekend and for the last three years, the last photo I've got of these elk up here is in July. There's a pretty good chance that if I go up there at the end of August, it's going to be for nothing. You know what I mean? Right. Now, there's that random chance you get lucky and something changed or something bumped them, spooked them, and they move back up the mountain. But for the most part, you know, coming back to time management here and trying to set yourself up for success, like you're really working against your time when the data that you have collected shows that they're not even there year wise, time to year wise, they're not there. <laughs> right. Well, like, worth your energy. And that, that relates back to the rub thing too. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're finding rubs yep. and you don't go any further than that spot, um, you could be hunting the wrong area, right? You could be stuck in an area. Yeah. Albeit has sign. Uh, and I've put myself in that position, um, you know, albeit sign, it, it's not the right sign. So I, I think that, you know, Correct. playing that, playing that time um, and, and understanding, you know, the consequence of the decision not to look further when you have, you know, some of the pieces together or not exploring the other pieces of the puzzle, if you will, um, it, it can absolutely leave you walking off the mountain without a punch tag. Right. I mean, and, and with that, you got to understand like two weeks ago, even is too late. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the time frame that we're talking. So when we're talking rub specifically, if you're in that early September, if you're in that early September time frame, and you're still getting into velvet shred, does that mean that bull's not there? No. That does mean if you're not seeing new ones, He's not currently there. So you're just beating your head against the wall because what you're doing is hunting two week old information. Right. You know what I mean? Or 10 day even. And you can very much tell that by looking at the sign. And that comes down to, again, data analyzing, you know, is there sap dripping? Is there sap dripping off this? If I take my knife out and I strike it against this tree, what color does that look? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then if I come back next weekend and I strike, and I look at that same strike mark, that will give me, okay, in seven days, if this if this was a fresh rub, this is what it looks like a week later, right? There's little tricks like that. Now, I'm not saying go scar trees by no means. I'm just trying to use that as an example, right? Like, like those are little things that can tell you, you know, is there hair stuck to it? You know, that's a big one. When they're shredding velvet and stuff like that, uh, you know, this two years ago when I killed Funky, um, I was finding velvet at the bases of trees and I was finding them in that upper bedroom, ironically. But guess what that time frame was? 
that last week of August first or last week of July, excuse me, first couple of days of August, right? So those elk weren't there when we were hunting, you know. And now, two years ago, there were some things that also changed. Let's let's back up a second, just because I want to give the listeners and and you even, man. I know I've shared this with you, but just to encourage you in your pursuit, like. You know, there's a lot of things to consider too, like drought year, like, you know, moisture content in a year, you know, uh, the, the year I killed Clyde, the first bull we killed, um, it was bone dry all summer. Although the vegetation was different and the year I killed funky, it rained throughout the summer. So there was a lot greener grass still up high, giving them nutrition, let, allowing them to stay a little bit later than what I had seen the last two years. You know what I mean? So I, like you got to understand that there is those little differences that can affect very minusculely in the big grand scheme of things, but they can affect, okay, maybe they're up here 10 days longer before they have to come down because the feed hasn't died. You know, do you get what I'm saying? Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, they're after the highest so density of nutrition. Yeah. And, and, but to understand Absolutely. that, right. It, it's, it's the highest yeah. density of nutrition that they can, like you said earlier, that they can achieve with minimal effort. Um, with minimal output yeah. is the key to that all. Yeah. That is the key to it all. And they, they're getting ready to fight for their breeding, right? They yeah. don't want to take burn half their calories that they just consumed to go get more food mm-hmm. and, and the they one get fat. the one thing that that i've learned with them you know in my short elk hunting career is that they are they are habitual animals right like if they if they have a safe path from a to b or they have a safe pattern and that pattern hasn't been disrupted by pressure or logging or what have you they will they will habitualize to that and stay in that pattern until something pushes them off of it. And, and that lends itself. It hasn't lent itself to my freaking success, but it can lend itself to success um, in, you know, in hunting them. I mean, you, you can't, you can't go wrong with the patterns. You can't, I mean, you can, right. You can hyper-focus on it. And then the problem you have when, when I say you can't go wrong with the patterns, you're hundred percent right. Not really, not once you learn them, but you gotta, and I know you just said this, but again, this is just me reiterating to stress to those guys that are like trying to tweak their own systems or taking this kind of in on the data side of things. Like you got to understand that there is things that occur that are beyond your control, i.e. forest fires, i.e. freaking if it rains all summer or if it stops raining and doesn't rain a drop from May till September, like those are all things that no matter what you do, no matter what you get ready for or have got ready, for, you cannot control that. So those outward pressures, is that a good word for a guy? Mm-hmm. Like outside, outside pressures or whatever, or outward mm-hmm. circumstances, you can't, but what you, where you can, like where you can go wrong on patterns and stuff like that is and i'm guilty of this is when you start to believe that even though your data doesn't support your the decision that you're about to yeah. make you think well <laughs> one more look yeah just one more look at that maybe i was just wrong last year and i've done that and i'm going to be on i'm completely transparent you know 
like I've done that the last three years. The day after we kill the bull right out of the gate, I go back into the same spot and hunt this different portion. I know these bulls are using, or I go back that next weekend just for a peak. I just have to have a peak. Maybe I'm wrong and we'll get, we'll get one more out of this particular hole, just in a different spot. And guess what? It never changed. They never came back. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's always like, this is literally last year. We were leaned up against a tree after Anthony killed his bull on six minutes into the season. By the way, that was crazy. After Anthony <laughs> killed his bull, we went back in there the next week, did the same thing, busted our ass, hunted a different portion of it, went up towards the middle bedroom just to look, picked up some cameras we had laying out, thankfully, because it all caught on fire and burned. So I wouldn't have any of this data. And. The only thing that I can say about that is I have pictures of his bull with the bull that I passed on like the day before we killed him. And then the day before we were there on that second day, there was one picture of this one bull that, or there was three pictures of him, but he just came through, like smelled the mineral lick or the mineral site that we have going, spent about two minutes there and meandered on his way and I don't have any other photos but but more importantly what I'm trying to get at with that is that bull was just transitioning through he was not there you know what I mean he that, was, he was just moving through dude that so that is a that is something that you have to understand in in transition right and and I struggled with that right man you get in a, especially when the elk are moving through right and and I didn't it was like a realization that that kind of hit me and I've talked about it before um you know when I got home from Colorado last year and hunting a transition is difficult um because you know a lot of what we want to do a lot of what we do is we're we're calling right and and trying to hunt them at least for me hunting them in transition and trying to get them to come back to where i am um or stop them long enough to make some you know make some type of approach on them is that's a difficult game man transition transition areas um they're great yeah for they have a shelf life so yeah for a and b <laughs> But man, you can't bank on them. And the biggest problem that I see with them is, you know, these areas. I mean, they're so so the area we're hunting is just below the plateau. And there's one, two, three, four benches. And they will the, the bench will get used one day, then they'll bounce up a bench or bounce down two benches, but they're always there. So the thought process there is why are we gonna pass elk to hunt elk? Right. So you're stuck in this freaking transition area and can't figure out why you can't get these animals to stop long enough to put an arrow in them or they're just you know what I mean? I mean, and they are moving. It's like it's like hunting on a freeway. You know what I mean? Like you're trying yep. to pick off the side of a, a target off the side of a car. Um, it, it just man, it was it is the hardest thing to move past until you understand and and i'm sure that there's guys that'll be like oh you could do it i'm sure it can be done and i haven't been successful at it so that's why i'm saying it that way but man transition is a difficult area to hunt well here's the other part of that you have to understand with these animals that uh you know versus like i like your analogy of a of a highway but on the it's almost flip-flop of humans nature if you will like when we're on a highway 
like we're pretty aware because of dangers and this and that. But like, think of like when you're getting off work and you're transitioning from work to home, you're just trying to get home. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so you might, you might miss, you know, there could be like a win a thousand dollars. If you see this vehicle parked on the side of the road, you might blast right by him because you don't even, you don't even see it because you're just trying to get home for heaven's sake. You know what I mean? Whereas at home, you very much notice that car parked at the end of your driveway or that drives up and down your street because you're in your comfort zone, right? With elk, I would say that because survival is like basically pretty much outside of breeding and feeding is their existence. Mm-hmm. I would say in those transitions areas, like not only are they like just trying to, for sake of the conversation, get home or get to where they're going, but they're also, from what I'm under, from my perspective, and correct me from what you've seen on this, you know, I'd be curious to see your thoughts, but like they're also a little bit more aware mm-hmm. because they're transitioning and they're transitioning with all of the atmospheric things in their favor, wind, this and that. You're, you're not coming into them where they're comfortable and they're kind of settled in. You're coming into them where they're at one of their most dangerous points, which is going to and from. So they're a little bit more hyper aware of things that are out of place or that don't seem right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they're also information gathering as they go. So, I mean, there's room for mistake, but on that transition area, <laughs> you might like there's guys that got that stuff dialed and oh, they know dude. how to get to here and there. But I mean, that's that's another form of art kind of like what i'm doing hunting the bachelor groups it's like it's just its own form of hunting you're not the other thing i understand about a transition is time of year wise that transition from okay let's just use for the conversation again is from my upper bedroom to when they get down into the lower bedroom or whatever at that certain time of year that transition is happening once so you might not get a replay. Right. You know what I mean? Like the, if it doesn't happen, then it, it won't happen because say that one bull that's coming off of wherever he was, maybe he was slightly higher up the mountain than the rest of these younger bulls. Cause he's an older bull. Well, when he transitions down, he's not transitioning down to linger. He's transitioning down because it's time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so he, he's not coming down to like, Hey boys, how's it been? It's been a year since I've seen you. He's okay. It's my time now my clock is ticked something in my instinct is telling me it's time for me to move down to where I'm going. And when he's going that way, you're not going to get another opportunity one and two, it's going to be really hard to stop him because he already knows why he's going, where he's going. He's not going. Yes. And there's a big difference in that. You know what I mean? Oh, I believe me. I know what you mean, man. I, I'm telling you, I got stuck on it last year. I probably got stuck on it harder than I did the the previous season. And again, you 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 get into that position where there's like there's there's elk here, right? And and not and and a lot of it was not realizing where I was at, right? Is not understanding until right. I got home that I was that I was on that freeway. Um, and that's just you know maybe call it a make myself feel better a, a nuance of being a a you know on the green side of elk hunting um and then you know figuring okay let's that's where they were i'm gonna go right back there and see if we can't you know seal the deal 
and man, it was just right. uh, it's just a kick in the butt, right? To hindsight yourself on this stuff, as as useful as it can be, it, it you know how it is. It's hard to swallow that pill, especially you know, like for me, <clears throat> traveling for the out of state hunts. Yeah, well, the other thing with the transition game that people don't take a lot, I think a lot of people miss is that you're really not trying. I mean, you might initially say, you know, that for the last three years, guy, you were in Colorado and they were using this one highway, this two days. So like those two days that might benefit you for those two days you have on the calendar, you've seen it. Cause I know you're writing that stuff down. You have notes on all that. Right. So like for those two days at those times of the day, and I'm not saying if they're there at 7am, that means they're going to be there at 7am again. But if you know they're there in the morning, then you know, you're going to be there in the morning versus beating your head against the wall, trying to show up at noon and see if they're still making that cut. You know, that the, for that two days, for whatever reason, this trail for three years, they're, crossing through mm -hmm. but the thing that a lot of people may miss about these transition areas is when you're hunting that transition area you're really just trying to get into a general area and you want to hunt between because you're talking about the differences of the trail that's 100 yards down the hill where it wise and the lead cow deciding she wants to go that way or the trail that goes up and above you on the top of the slope or the ridge because the cow decided she wanted to climb the hill before she went left or right. Like, you know what I mean? You're, right. you're really hoping that you pick that right trail system. So when you're hunting those transition areas, you gotta, you gotta center yourself to be able to, to make those moves because you know what I mean? I don't know. That's where your gut comes into it. And again, data is king. If you understand why and where, or what would make them choose a certain way, well, then there you go. And for example, one thing that you've said, and I've heard you say this to me for the last two years about Colorado specifically is you get there the night before season, getting camp set up and there is bugles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bugles are torching. That next morning you wake up. You can hear. Diddly do haw and his yeah, family Huckleberry Finn and all them are bugling and your elk are not. Yeah, it, it goes. <laughs> they are gone. You can hear a mouse fart. It, it, you know, I was just having this conversation this evening. Somebody called me and we were talking about it. And, and that's the craziest thing to me, right, is is uh, they get the memo, dude. I mean, this has been two years in a row, right, where, you know, same area. And, man, the day before, like this, you know, last year it was we were there for opener. So we got there a day early. And I mean, you want to talk about a freaking 50 yards from camp screaming in our face, right? Raking. And we're, we're watching this bull from camp going, holy shit, it's on. And then half an hour later, man, down the hill, you know, just, just below him, just the just the nastiest guttural, just scream and bugle chuckle fest you ever heard. And the next six days, man, you could hear a mouse fart in the woods. Yeah. And it was like, there was no bugle. Everything was very, very low audible. Um, it's just a, it's a strange phenomenon, right? And you would think, you know, like, like this year's interaction was like, I'm going to say five to 6 PM. There wasn't a lot of vehicle traffic. Wasn't a lot of guys yep. tromping through the woods. It, it was just the weirdest thing that they went uh, 
they went quiet. That one has me, I, I'm perplexed on that one. I don't know how that, how that works or what's, what's causing that. Um, you know, I would look at it like, okay, you know, like what well, you just nailed it on the head to me, but vehicle traffic. So when you get out there the day before opening, maybe they've started hearing cars and this and that. Sure. Cause people are rolling into camp or whatnot, but that opening morning, they got, People pounding on the hillside, taking off from camp early. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying differences. So with even, let's just say, wind, people not knowing that they're blowing their wind down to these elk. There's, you got people getting up at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, driving these roads. So that, let's just say, pressure is fresh on their mind. It's more relative to them now that there's a lot more currently going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I heard a bull bugle the night before I turned on my chainsaw and then the next three weeks I was cutting timber and I didn't hear a thing. Well, you know, that night before, yeah, he heard me pull up and he heard us unloading trucks and so on and so forth. Sure. But now we're, there's a whole different level of constant noise and let's just say irritation or factors for them to consider. And I would say that that lends itself to their hand, let alone the nostril thing, right? Can't beat their nose. So once you start smelling bacon and campfires, yep, the little things like that and people tramping through the woods the night before trying to glass them or bugling at them or whatnot, the things that you might not even have heard, Mm -hmm. right? Like all that is information that they're using to make their decisions. You actually bring up a good point there, right? And and I don't, you don't really hear it talked about very often. Um, you do hear it in terms of spike camp um, or, you know, if you're, if you're living out of your backpack for, you know, seven to 10 days, but where you set up base camp, you know, if you're, if you're base camping, that's a big deal, man. Um, you know, a lot of our encounters, are have been uh in that spot within a mile to a mile and a half of where we set up base camp right so understanding that base camp can have an effect um is a big deal man i mean you know not just you know well last year you couldn't have fires because of you know it was so dry and everything was burning everywhere um but you know, just cooking your meals, right? Your 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 vehicles. If you're running your vehicle, guys will run their vehicles to charge phones or to charge chargers, uh, whatever it is. That's a big deal, man. You set up in the wrong spot, depending on how that wind's playing, and uh, you're you're polluting, you know, a lot of their a lot of their air, their data collecting yeah, I, on you. I would say that that wind can take you. Um, that wind can. I mean, it will kill you. It will absolutely kill it. I mean, the more to think about. So when I say this, like, granted, I, the last few spots that we've been killing elk isn't super far off the road. But this year in particular, we were faced with the thing where a guy, and, you know, there was a lot more hunters out in the woods this year. Let's be real. Like, I mean, you saw that also, mm-hmm. right? Like, the numbers this year were like, holy cow, what gave? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that being said when i got in this year to go on my spot there was a guy parked further up the road and i really had to i was really like initially i was down like well that guy just he's gonna wreck our hunt when he walks in you know 
the potential that he they wind him or they hear him walking down the road. He could shift where they're at or whatever. And keep in mind with I know my elk pretty well behaviorally speaking. Like just I mean, you know this guy. Your listeners might not, but you know like my mad scientist ways have been producing. Mm-hmm. But uh like for me, I was like instantly I was kinda like, Oh damn. I really just had to commit with the guys, like, you know what? We're gonna hunt this the exact same way. And then I had to look at it as an opportunity. Well, maybe this guy doing this is going to push them into us a little bit more. You know, maybe it will shift. And so when I went in there with my battle plan and I went to war, I went to war like that guy wasn't there and like those elk were. And the story writes itself, you know, you can interview Anthony on on what seven minutes of Oregon archery looks like, you know, <laughs> for your first, for your first bull elk. So, I mean, but that, that just comes down to like, just the biggest thing that I have in my advantage guy is I understand where and why those elk are there. And I understand because, you know, another benefit you can have is, if you bump an elk, for example, and if you bump an elk where he doesn't necessarily wind you, but like you stand him up, he heard a noise, you spooked him. Because with the wind, that's a whole different thing we're talking here, right? But if you bump an elk and he does something and you're able to watch him where they kind of naturally, other than just take off at a full-on sprint, but they naturally kind of leave an area or you kind of put pressure on them or you annoy them and you watch how they exit out of an area. What is one thing that, like, and this is like a real question. Like, what is one thing you can take from that? Where they're going. I mean, he's going to, in my, in my head, he's going to travel the path, right. That, that he's been on. He knows it's safe. Hey, I can go this way to get, get away from this danger is how I would yeah. look so, at that. Yeah. And so like you, you know that, but I mean, you said it even a little bit more complicated, right? Not just the path. It, it doesn't matter about the path. What you could say is, under pressure, this animal went this direction, mm-hmm. right? And now if you have data, like I do, and keep in mind where I'm talking about hunting this particular bull is in the lower bedroom. And if I pressure him and he starts heading towards the middle bedroom, which is up, let's just say further up the mountain for sake of the conversation, what's that tell me? When I pressure him, his his exit route, his safety is back towards the middle, Mm -hmm. which tells me that there's a bedroom or there's some sort of sanctuary feature. And I'm not saying it's a sanctuary, but you know what I mean? Sanctuary type feature that under duress, that is the direction those elk go. And I'm going to back that here guy by saying that the year that I killed Clyde the weekend before, and you've seen the pictures and we've talked about this, but I bumped Clyde and all of his crew, including that giant six by seven that I was telling you about, that mm-hmm. was all crowned out. And they, when I started bugging them after walking into the middle of them on accident and they didn't win me, I don't know how, but after pressuring them and messing with them for 30 minutes, they exited to the right, which would be up the mountain. So from the way I was looking at them, they went to the right. And then the next year when I came back, or the next 
day, excuse me, when I came back and I killed him that next week or whatever it was, the next day or next weekend or whatever, when I killed Clyde and there was all that pressure from me raking and me bugging him, they exited to the right. So I already knew that in my mindset, okay, these bulls are going to transition from left to right out of this particular area. So when I set myself up coming back into the year I killed Funky, I came down in there and I called you the night before and I told you I found him. I think I know where he's going in the morning and he's dead. That bull is dead. Mark my words, dude, he's done. He messed up. He showed me where he was and that is King, bro. I went in there. I set myself up in the middle where when they got pressure, he would exit to the right, killed Funky. Those bulls departed. They went to the right. This year, Anthony comes in. We start pushing pressure on those bulls. Once we get into them, they're moving left to right. Anthony kills them. They head diagonally up and towards the right, which tells me that their pressure points, you know what I mean, when they're under duress, is to move that direction. Let's just call it east for the sake of this conversation, right? That right there is a crucial piece that I think a lot of people, oh man, I bumped that bull, blah, blah, blah. Dude, there was six of these, six, six points and a bunch of spikes. And I walked right into them like an idiot. I, if, if I had been there half an hour earlier, they'd be dead. But you weren't. You weren't there half an hour earlier. So where did they go? Okay. And then based off what you know about the area, why did they go that way? You get what I'm saying? Right. So, so let's take it. Uh, now we go back to the. Take, oh, hold on. I'm sorry yeah, to cut you off. So, so let's yeah, put this in a, in a scenario where a guy is e-scouting and he's doing all this, right? And he gets into that yeah. and, you know, he gets into some sign and boom, he's in the bulls and he bumps those bulls. Um, and they move, you know, they move down bench, whatever. Right. Right. Now. Would you go after them or would you say, okay, that's where they went. Let me pull off of that. So I don't make the situation worse, uh, and approach that area with caution later, or how, how would you play a scenario like that out? How did you bump them? If they winded you? Absolutely not. You're done. That's a different kind of fear yeah, for them. Yeah. We're that's done a different there. kind of fear for them. They're, they're running because of fear, not because their buddy heard a branch break and he took off. So they're just following their buddy. They're running because they smelled danger. So, and when I say you're done, I'm not saying you can't get back on them later, but I'm saying in, in the immediate sense of it, absolutely. I would not because I think you're every noise you make, they're going to associate with danger that they just smelled. Mm -hmm. If you just bumped them by, they might've saw you but really you stepped on a branch or you bugled and they were 25 yards away from you and neither of you knew they were there and they just explode away from you. Like in my case, that first year, then, you know, I, again, I would go, I'd rely on my data. I'd look at the map. Like, let's say I had no data points. I'd immediately jump on Onyx or if you have a hard copy of a map that works just as well. Right. And I would go, okay, they're going this direction from where I'm at. Let's talk, let's talk about behavioral stuff. Let's talk about time of day. If I bump them at night and they're going this way, I probably just bumped them out of where they were coming down to feed and they're running back towards their bedroom where it was just safe, right? That'd be my guess. 
if I bump them in the morning where they've been feeding and I, and they've been feeding all night again, I'm bumping them back towards the bedroom, but I'm bumping them towards where they wanted to go anyway, mm-hmm. not where, whereas the, the, the difference there is at night they want to go feed. So they're probably going to in a divert way, go this way, go that way, and then loop around, eventually make their way around to where they can still feed because that's what they're going to do. In the morning you bump them, they were headed to bed anyway. That's where they're going to go is to the first place that they don't smell or see or hear danger and go lay down because that's what they're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Assuming you didn't just bump them when they were 25 yards from it, then you might have pushed them to a different bedroom, an alternate bedroom. But regardless, you know what they're going to do. You know what I mean? So I would take a step back and I'd look at my map and I'd, I would look at that. I would go to that topographical feature because that's what I love. And I'd be looking at slopes and I'd be looking for benches and I'd be looking at pockets. I'd flip that back and forth. Once I find something that's interesting on the map topographically, be it a saddle or a bench or whatever, then I'd flip that satellite and see what it looks like. But the reason I like topo most is it tells you where water is. Well, we know that these elk need water. It is a necessity. So, yes, they can be far away from it, but they prefer not to be. So if I find a, when I say a big source of water, I don't mean like a lake or a main river. But if I find like a little wet seep looking area, like let's just go back to the alder tree conversation, right? That will give me an idea that, okay, if there's big timber bordering it, those bulls, those elk in general are probably going to head up that direction. Can I get in front of them? Can I come around? What's the wind doing? That'd be my second thing, depending on the type of bumping them. What is the wind doing? You say, would you go after them? Well, what is the wind doing now? And what is the wind doing on the other side of that slope that they just ran over? And even more importantly, guys, we've been talking about and you've been learning in Colorado on some of them things. That wind is not a consistent direction is laughable sometimes. That doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. You need, to, <laughs> you need to understand that before you go, oh, the wind's in my favor. I'm chasing them. Blah, blah, blah. Sure it is. Until you hit that little bald spot in the trees and the mm-hmm. sun pulls it uphill. You know, it, it, it's and it funny. Goes right to them. Well, because you know my obsession with wind checkers, right? Yeah. And that comes from where I mm-hmm. hunt, right? But I, I mean, yep. you can uh, again, right? And and I'm not going to say it sounds cliche, but it, it's it cannot be overstated, right? Um, you you right. you got to play the wind because you're not going to beat the nose. All bets are off if that game isn't tight. But when you're hunting elk and and you're going, you know, from cover to a new growth aspen grove right and and you've been in you know dark timber and the wind's doing one thing man you step into that opening or you step into that that new growth and that sun is beaming through that wind is playing different i was showing the guys in colorado this year man i you know i'd hit it and i was showing caesar and you know i'd hit that wind checker and we move up and he'd look at it and i go now hit yours and he'd puff that sucker and i'm like no give it a give it a good hit right and that's why i go through so many of them because i want to see what it's going to do 30 40 yards away right and that and you right. watch it, man, and it's like in in a matter of three or four steps, just hitting it. It's like that that wind is going in a different direction. It it moves consistently for 20, 30 yards, and then boom, it's going uphill. Right. Well, that was your what you assumed your approach was because the wind was in your favor here. And it's just a constant check, right? 
And I'm going to say a lot of the animals that we're around that we don't see is because of the wind. Um, I don't care how stealthy you are, man. If you're not, if you're not playing that wind and and playing it frequently and understanding what it's doing frequently, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I don't care what the hell you're hunting, unless it's an elk bird. Right. And now I will tell you one thing I've noticed for like where I'm pressuring these elk and the way that they're moving, the direction they're moving when they got pressured towards where they want to go anyway. At the time that I've pressured them, I may have accelerated their timeline a little bit. Like, you know, and this is just me reflecting as we're talking about this, even a little bit more like say that if I wasn't in that situation, maybe that bull, if I hadn't been there to bug them or kill their fucking brother or dad or whatever, right? If I wasn't there, maybe that bull would have bedded right there in that clear cut and waited on the wind to switch. Whereas when I start pressuring them, I'm forcing them to go where they were going to go anyway, just in an advanced timeline. And on that essence, during those times, those elk are not moving with the wind in their favor from where I'm at. But there's a big but here. That does not mean that they're not moving where it will be in their favor. Right. Even if it is in that short spree, like everything they do is based off surviving. So at one point or another, those thermals where they're going is where they feel like those thermals are the most regulated. So even though at that very minute, that very 10 minutes that they're trotting off through the woods, this direction, making all this chaos on high alert, they might not have the wind in their nose smelling danger approaching in their mind, they're fleeing potential danger. So they've chosen that, you know, they've made a decision to move that way, but that does not mean that they are not moving to where it is within their range. And then to go back to your, would you pursue them? That does not mean that on a second encounter (laughs) that they are not going to be very sure that that is not in their favor. So by the time you get back on them, they might be, Remember when I, uh, let me back this up just a step here. When I was telling you the night before about finding Funky with bow in hand, ready to go, what did I tell you? Do you remember that conversation I was having with you when we were driving down the mountain? I said, I knew I was in a position where the wind, as soon as that sun went down in the next five to 10 minutes, if I wasn't there, he would have me. Mm-hmm. Remember that conversation? Okay. I also the wind re- was in my favor where I was. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember saying you put them to bed, right? Because that was the key to me, right? And when you when you yep. said that, you know, I know where he is. I put him to bed. I I told my boy as soon as we hung up, oh, that bull effed up. He's dead tomorrow morning. And I don't think I think he woke me up with the phone call or my feet were about to hit the floor and the phone rang and I looked and I was like, Oh, he caught him. He killed him. (laughs) Right. But, but that brings me into something else though. Right. Is, is that, is there is a level of understanding what's going on, right? Uh, Situational awareness, if you will. Um, But also having patience to not rush the situation. Right. Uh, So there's two important things there, right? Wherewithal, what's that wind doing? What time of day is it? What's going to happen in the next few minutes if this doesn't play out in seconds or a few minutes, right? 
and the patience to say, okay, here's the game plan because I understand all of this that I've collected. Um, I understand that the wind is going to be doing this in the morning and that that's, that is what in my head in any type of hunting shows maturity uh, in the pursuit for the hunter uh, is, is the ability to make those decisions. And then on top of it, capitalize on those decisions to seal that deal. I mean, ultimately that's what we're there for. Right. And, and I, and I am a huge experienced guy in terms of the pursuit um, and just enjoying yep. every moment of it. But that ultimately the, the mission at hand is to notch that tag. And that means a dead animal. Yes. And I'm like, but, but what you said about being aware of like what you're doing and where you're at, you know, and like, don't get me wrong. I was there the night before I killed him to kill an elk. Mm -hmm. Like that was what I was on the mountain for <laughs> me or the guys I were hunting with. were going to kill an elk. That's what we were trying to do. You know what I mean? That's why we were on the mountain. However, there was a portion of me that in my gut said, not now, let, like, let him go. Because here's the other piece. And I collect data as I go, guy. And you know this about me. This is one thing you've actually, you've complimented me on is my ability to reflect almost instantaneously on things and absorb. Like, that's one thing. And I appreciate that you compliment me on that, on that specific thing about me. Like, it means a lot, bro, especially coming from you. But, like... On that moment, there was a decision-making process that told me, and this is where I guess the, if you start in January collecting data and you start to learn to see data for data when it matters the most, you're already going to have taught yourself that muscle memory and that discipline to be able to use data to calculate your decision versus just an emotion at that moment because when I looked at trying to kill that bull, every part of me wanted to drop down and go after him. Mm -hmm. Every part of me. He chuckled. He chuckled at me. He started raking trees, stomping on branches intentionally. I mean, you know the story, man. Like every bit of me wanted to drop down there and try to kill him. But the data side of me said, it's about to get dark. I saw him in this exact area in spring around this exact time where he came, comes out and does this little thing, only he wasn't chuckling or doing all that. He's just coming out to feed in the spring, right? And then I saw him retreat to the same spot, and that told me what? What that told me is that in this particular setting, this bull in the evening is killable here, in the evening being the key word. That does not mean at 6 o'clock in the morning he is, as we know, because the next morning I killed him at 6 o'clock in the morning, three-quarters of a mile away, right? But it does not mean that he's there that next morning. That tells me that what that did was give me the information, and this is just stepping back, looking at what, I'm, what we're talking about here, right, the data of it, that gave me the information that if I couldn't find him in the morning, at night, I knew where to go to position myself to play ball. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because at that time frame, this animal has demonstrated to me that he's in this general, let's just say general, doesn't mean exact, 
but he's in this general little spot somewhere in here at that time frame. That was the evening, right? I've never once seen those elk there in the morning. Am I saying they're there? No, that's, that they're not? No. But I'm saying I have never seen them. And understanding that just because there might be there in the morning doesn't mean when in the morning or what they're going to be doing there. At night, I had a key component. Any Elk 101, the Bugler Phelps Game Call, Elk Shape Podcast, Elk Bros, any of those guys are going to tell you, Paul Nadell, all of those guys, and these guys are all legends. These guys are all super knowledgeable sources. Michael Batiste, all of them, right? All great, great, very successful hunters. What's the one consistent thing in, in all their methodology that they talk about? In the evening, the elk go from like very, in, the, in a very like caveman basic level of understanding. What they're saying is in the evening, the elk go from bed to feed. In the morning, the elk go from feed to bed. Am I wrong? No, that that is that is it. Right? And I'm not talking about the method of take or how you go about approaching that, but what I'm talking about is just the, the general consensus of what that behavior of those animals or what that animal's intention behind their behavior is. And so when I saw that bull that night, I knew because of data and because of general information, he was coming out of bed to go to feed. Now that does not mean he's going to stay right there and feed. That tells me that that feed is near his bed. And that's a big thing to be able to understand. You see a bull in the middle of the day on the edge of a clear cut feeding. His bedroom is probably not far because he's not generally feeding far from his bed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to understand that about these animals. Because if you don't, they're going to pull your punk card every time. <laughs> They've been pulling mine two years. <laughs> Bastards. You know, Dude, you're taking away so much. Oh, that, and that's the thing, right? And that's one of the things I wanted to touch on, right, is is building your database. And, and it doesn't necessarily yep. have to be it doesn't necessarily have to be honed into a specific area, right? You can, you can build that database um, and, and just start collecting that information. Right. And I think it's important not to, not to try and record it all to memory because as a season progresses, you're there, there's little nuances that you're going to forget, right? Um, recording the time of day, snapping a picture, looking at the location, you know, where I'm at in elevation, where I'm at on, you know, on the mountain, what, what, you know, facing slope am I on and understanding what all that is. But a, a bigger is instance with that collection is not discounting, what your own findings are. And I think that there's a, I'm not going to say a huge issue in that. Right. But, but we, we place a lot of emphasis on uh, outsourcing our, our information gathering. Right. But to even, even a new elk hunter, right. A guy just getting out this year to not take his own data collection for granted. Um, is huge in terms of your whole career. Imagine, imagine a guy like Paul Medell that never took the time that that man has taken over the years to 
record, remember, or however Paul does that, that, that data, right. Or, or for that matter, all the other guys, Batiste and, and, and Durham, um, stating if they didn't take that information and record it somehow, right. We wouldn't have those resources. If you weren't recording your data and you weren't putting those things together, we wouldn't be having a conversation right now about collecting that and utilizing that to, you know, to seal the deal, right. To get to the end game. Um, and I think it's, I think a lot of dudes discount what they're seeing in the woods, um, for whatever reason. And it's like, man, that's good information. Like, dude, I want to know. They do because it's not what you see on social media. Right. And I, and then this is not an attack on the social media platforms by no means. I do think that there's a lot of value there. So by, I'm not, I'm not putting my tinfoil hat on for an elk conversation. If we want to talk something else I can, but not, not for elk. Um, I'm just saying strictly like the thing is that we have this picturesque version of what that encounter is going to look like. I'm going to run down this ridge. I'm going to blow on my bugle tube and that bull is going to crack off. And then I'm, my heart rate's going to start racing. I'm going to move a little bit closer. I'm going to bugle again. And then all of a sudden I'm going to hear a branch crack and he's coming up the hill. And all of a sudden he's, he's 30 yards and oh my gosh, it's, it's game time. And I send my arrow and I stick him right where that unfortunately they don't have the script. <laughs> that, no, no, they're not reading it. They're reading their own version of your script, you exactly. know, like, which is survive. And like, unfortunately, like the downside, the, the positive side to, to social media on that stuff is you have these resources to tap and to learn. And I would argue that you can even from watching other people's encounters, you can place yourself in a better place when you have your own personal encounter to make it happen because you've seen something. So you have something to replicate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you just have this flashback in, in your mind of like how the bro guys bugled at this bull and then how they, they, for example, when to draw your bow, right? Something so simple. A lot of people don't understand like that actually matters. You can't just draw your bow on these bulls and he's not going to see you standing there, draw your, your bow. Like you got to know, when to make that movement and that excess noise, right? Like, well, I mean, there's look, a level of noise that comes with that. You you look at you look at the the data on that. If you look at the talks that those guys do on that, I, I think James Nash accounts for like ninety yeah. percent of the encounters are blown uh, at draw. Right during the draw cycle, that's when the opportunity is missed. So that's, I mean, those those things are huge in this and and the problem i see with with that right is because elk especially the 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 first couple times man and if you ain't killed an elk if you haven't punched that tag it's going to be amplified a thousand times man the emotion and chemical release that those giant mofos induce is is something that until you're there, you don't, you don't have an expectation on, and I'm pretty, dude, I'm, I'm pretty cool when it comes to drawing my bow. Um, but you've seen my Wyoming footage and dude, yeah, that you were shaking like a tree. I, it wasn't shaking. Shake. My, my respirations when I was at draw 
were was when I watched that, I was like, oh my God, look at how hyperventilating. It, it's just they just bring something else yeah. out, you know? And when I think when I say you're shaky, I just mean I just mean your composure. Oh. Not not necessarily your hand, but like oh, you dude. can hear it in oh. the, the not only the way you're breathing, but like like without hearing you like with with hearing because if i remember right like i've watched this video guy it's just been a little bit so forgive me if i'm off basis here but that other gentleman that was with you was kind of talking to you too was was that is that the right video yeah yeah like he yeah. wasn't like he was kind of helping coach you through like here he comes he's coming this way and you're like what no 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 he's right there like you can tell like you go from very composed to like oh there's an elk to holy shit this is this could happen like yeah there's an elk right there's a bull right he's 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 there and try, and you know making that shot come through with like dude i don't know i got lucky in the sense that when i've drawn on my bulls i've had ice in my veins like i can't it's but it's when i release that arrow everything That's what it comes is. out of me yeah like yeah like i'm the I'm not, I'm not the cry baby, but I'm the, the, and not in a bad way for the guys that are crying. Cause what you just did is remarkable, like releasing an arrow, but like, I'm the like fist pumping in the air, fall over backwards. Like my head pounding, like, like you would think I hit a crystal meth pipe or something. You know what I mean? Like I catching the, on a landmine. Well, you know, for me after like, that's where you catch the shakes, right? Is, is after it. Oh, that. Oh yeah. And then you start questioning yourself. What about my shot? What about this? Like when I killed, when I killed funky, I hit that bull and I saw him spin and I knew I smashed him. I, I just heard the flack the way it went. And then he ran and I watched him fall over. And then, he, my little brother, like I'm pumping, fist pumping, and I'm laying on my back on the ground, like just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then my little brother comes up to me, and he's like, I think you missed. <laughs> like, dude, you missed him. And I'm like, I didn't miss him. Like, it, that was a pass through. No, dude, I heard that swack. And I'm like, yeah, that swack was my arrow going like passing through him. And my brother's like, no, dude, I think you you missed him. It sounded like you hit the bushes. I'm like, I just watched him fall over right there. And as I'm saying that, I look over and the bull stands up from being falled up, like from being dead. He stands up and then he starts wobbly legging and takes 10 more steps and falls over dead. And my brother's like, I guess you didn't miss him. (laughs) But there was that, there was that like one second, like gut punch there, you know, like, you know, on delivery, did I just really blow this on, you know, and, when I say this, I do mean this, like on the opportunity of a lifetime, because every time you beat an animal at his own game, that's the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, you literally just beat something that is wired to survive mm-hmm. at its own game in its own field on its home turf. You know what I mean? Like that's incredible. What you just did. That is an opportunity of a lifetime bar none. And so to bring this back to the data collection thing, because I know I probably don't got much too much more time with you here. Like, I just want to encourage people like, you know, you brought up a really good point that I've been thinking about since you said it about not discrediting your own data and did like every time you see an animal, you need to, 
at the very least, if it's not, you can't kill it and there's no shot opportunity or whatever, you need to stop and reflect. And I don't care if it's right then and there, if it's the sitting back at camp, you don't need to reflect like I'm going to beat myself up. You need to turn that, that emotion and use it as a force for growth. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done is I've taken those losses and I've learned to apply them in a way that becomes a win, if you will. Like I've used them as building stones because when you take that gut punch, it's going to allow you to reflect and you can really, especially when it just happened, sit there and play back. And like, there's so much like that you absorbed because you don't realize it because you're so in the moment, but okay. You know, just to prove my theory here, you know, Hey, when that giant fork bowl that you saw, what time of day was that? 1030. There you go. How long has that been? Last September? Mm-hmm. You talk about six months later, and I can ask you off the cuff. Well, hey, what time of day was that that you saw that animal? Well, think you about know why. I know, I know you jot down information, oh, but dude. this is just for anybody. <laughs> you can, for anybody, you can replay. You might not be able to say 1030, but you can say that was mid-morning. Oh, that was at 1 o'clock. Oh, I saw him on a water hole. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was he was, there was five cows and then here he came or here he was. And then all of a sudden there's four cows in the background. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that's all data Yep. and it's all right there. And you've take, you've, you've input that into your system. And because you're so focused on the immediate emotion, what's going on right now, you don't even realize that you've collected it. You just got to learn how to data mine. Well, and a big, a, a big thing, right. And one of the things that we can all utilize in that, right. And, and, you know, yes, it's, it's stepping away from being in the moment at the moment. Uh, but think about how hard it is or how easy it is. Uh, however you look at that to put notes in your phone, dude, you can turn on your notes and hit, uh, the record button and sit there and walk through everything in a whisper and record that the moment and that's one of the things that i've been doing is at the moment hey you know uh bull came in on the rakes and this is what he did blah 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 blah. this is where we're at the wind was doing this this is time of day um and and it seems like small potatoes right but as you go back and you're like okay looking back at last season what what improvements do i need to make and as you're looking at that you're like oh i blew it because of this or i blew it because of that or i did this wrong because of that or you see a pattern in time of day right i worked this bench and this bench and this is where they were at and you know and you just play that stuff out so i think it's huge in in progressing your game and there's guys that that don't have to do that right that just just have that knack um but man, OTC public land hunting is, is not, it's not an easy endeavor. So every tool that we can utilize, why not utilize it, right? Be it Onyx, be it base map, be it hunt league, whatever it would, just the note thing in your freaking phone. If you can utilize that to better your game and to be in that 10%, the next year and the year after that and the year after that, I, I think it comes to talking yourself through the who, what, when, why, where's 
and utilizing that year after year after year. The guys that are, are, are badass elk killers, they're not taking any of that for granted. These guys have learned experience over 20 years, 25 years, 30 plus years. They are remembering or recalling somehow every single encounter. And, and listen to freaking Paul Medell, right? And I think that Paul has... He, you could talk to that guy about a, a bull that him and his boy shot 15 years ago. And it seems like he can tell you the story like he lived it yesterday, right? <clears throat> He's remarkable in that sense. But they're not forgetting that data. They're not letting that data, those learned experiences go. Um, and, and it's just the same with yourself, right? You're not forgetting what worked and why it worked and, and what you're seeing. The ability to say, yeah, they're moving, you know, left to right. And in, in, in duress, they're moving up to, you know, up to the right. I, that's a big deal. And, and as you're saying this, right, I'm playing it out in my head. I'm like, okay, so they're on a south facing slope. John's facing west. They're moving uphill. That's to the right. I'm just trying to pick apart what you're saying. But you'll start to analyze right. everything when you when you start hearing it or if you're, you know, if you're watching a YouTube video trying to gain some knowledge and understand what's going on, you'll start to pick that stuff apart and understand, you know, from from an air quote highlight reel, how stuff is working or, you know, put the scenario yeah, together. Are they coming out of the creek or are they going down to the creek? Regardless, right? Here's the same question I would have. What's above the creek? Right. Yeah, it's and uh, not the clear cut. The clear cut is just the transition. What is above the creek? Is there a patch of timber? Is there a big wet alder spot that's in dark timber in the middle of it all? Like further up the hill, another two miles, maybe even, I mean, two miles isn't shit for an elk to cover, to go to bed. In a heartbeat. These are, these, these are all things that a lot of people, I won't say take for granted. They just overlook. And, you know, I challenge your listeners, dude, I, for the guys that are like, oh, I got to start collecting data. Like any of you that have Onyx or base map or whatever you're using, or even your old school maps that you're you're writing X's and O's on. Like, start looking through your pins. You've already been collecting data. Mm-hmm. You don't even know it. Like, if you fucking saw elk at five o'clock at night driving down a logging road and you dropped a pin that says elk, look at that pin and what's that pin tell you? It gives you a date and it gives you a time that you dropped that pin without you even knowing it. You now have a timeline to go back and look at this little digital note that you put from just dropping a pin saying, I saw elk in this clear cut. They'll tell you what time you saw them. They'll see them at noon. They'll see them at 5 p.m. They'll see them at 6, 7 a.m. or 7.30 or 6. Or Do you get what I'm saying? Like, you don't even know it. You've already been collecting data. You're not doing anything that you're not already doing. You're just putting a magnifying glass to it and becoming obsessed with understanding what you're battling. You know, and, and that's where, you know, I want to transition this for here for a quick second. And, you know, I told you, don't let me forget about the replicating what you know, you know, is once you put together an area and you learn an area, I don't care where you go, what you're hunting, what the species is or whatever that you've had this data, you will very quickly be able to go into another area and look at something and piece that puzzle together much faster because you can draw a replication of what you saw behaviorally speaking about these animals in this area. Now you're hunting the Oregon coast and you're trying to do that in the cascade range. 
there's some similarities, but there's some differences, right? Or if you're hunting Rockies versus Rosies, there's some differences. You know, those Rockies might bump five miles. If you bump them over the hill, that that hill might go seven miles Mm -hmm. for all you know. But there's still some differences. I mean, there's still some similarities to calculate here. And that's that if you can take this behavior, knowing the animal as it is, unmolested and in a non-perverted way sorry but like unpressured untouched like doing this very most natural course of day-to-day interaction you can take that same map and you can find an area that is conducive to it and you can draw those same points on that same location and i bet money you're very quickly going to dial in what differences there are and be back on those animals and that's the position where I'm at in my journey is, especially now that my shit all just burned up, I'm forced to take how I know how to collect data and what I know off of the data I've collected to be able to very quickly replicate it somewhere else. Right. And put it together. And that's huge, right? Especially for out of state guys, um, you know, traveling, mm-hmm. traveling from the East or the Midwest. I mean, for me, shit to hunt elk in California, I probably got another five or six years, but the ability to go from one location to the next, um, you know, that, that stuff pays dividends over, over time with that, uh, with that paying attention. I mean, realistically data collection, paying attention, however you want to, however you want to call that, however you're recording that is, is uh, a key to success out there, man. Yeah. And I mean, I would even argue that like for those guys that are wondering, well, how, how many times have you seen, let's just say you see a buck that, or let's, let's talk about deer for a second. Let's, Let's say you find a buck. I mean, and this is me asking you guys. You find a buck that's notable. It's not like, oh, I saw. Sorry about the background noise. I was picking up trash in the yard. But uh, you you find an area or you find an animal that's notable, not just like, oh, I saw this spike or this fork horn, but like, I saw this pretty heavy looking four point. Right? Then you're driving down the mountain. You're doing something. You're scouting in a new area. And you go and you go, this area looks a lot like the kind of area where I saw that other, that pretty good looking buck. Like, I bet you there's a good buck in here. You start to pick it apart. It might not be that day, but a couple of trips later, some trail cams, whatever. You find another four point, right? What did you just do? Yeah, you replicated Without knowing it. it yeah. You replicated what you saw when, you know, when somebody looks at something and they say, this is, this is elky. Mm-hmm. How often you hear that in oh, conversation yeah. guy. I saw this area that looked elky. Why does it look elky to you? Yep. Not because you listen to a podcast and the guy described what elky is to him. Cause you went somewhere or you've seen something somewhere in your data collection phase again not knowing that you're collecting data because that's what you're constantly doing as a human that's how you evaluate everything you do off of this data whether you like it or not that's the basis of how we operate outside of emotion right and you look at this and you go oh that's elky well the reason i think it's elky is because i've seen elk in places like this or i've seen elk sign in places like this where everything i do know about said elk that i don't maybe know exists has been told or has been described or prescribed to me in a way as such. Mm -hmm. That's where you get that from. You're literally replicating it 
without knowing it. So now take the successful factors in your data and these things that you understand about the area you hunt and replicate it on a little bit larger scale to a new area. Oh, it's magic. It's not magic, bro. It's just you using what you have, right? your intuition, you know? So I, I, that's a, you know, when you're talking about data collection, I think that being able to take data, data collection and learn to replicate it is that next step. And that's where I'm currently at. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, curious. Replicated it in terms of success, but I'm I'm talking about replicating it in new theaters. You're right, and that's and that's what I'm curious to see um, how you how you pan this year, right? Because you've been well, I mean the I'll last couple what, of years. One area that I have. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on. That's oh, all right. <laughs> one area that I have this year, and I told you this. I, I think I told you this. I know me and Anthony have talked about it a bit. We went in there the last week of season after everything burned after some of the things opened back up and we could hunt certain things. There was this one area that I found this one rub from this one bull that stood out to me. Bar none, right? Like there was this one, the size of the rub, the size of the tree, the height, just everything about it was what is what I'm me and my journey what I'm looking for. And there was this one rub, and I can tell you that I told Anthony from the minute I saw it to the to the day after we hunted it, the first thing I said on this particular rub was, I'm two weeks too late. I'm two weeks behind on this particular bull. Because he wasn't there still. But if I'd hunted that two weeks prior, we'd be having a whole different conversation right now. And I know that because of what I've seen and the data I've collected and in my successes and my failures, I know I have a spot now that in that first two weeks of season, assuming that a fire doesn't run through that. <laughs> how, does, that how does that look for you guys this gonna year be, up there? It's going to be game on, man. How's that looking to you guys? How How's it looking in terms of moisture? You guys get good snowpack or how's the rain and everything been this year? We had that weird freeze that knocked us out of power for nine days for nine days about a month and a half ago mm-hmm. um it's been rainy yes but you know i'll be 100 percent honest and tell you that i'm concerned on what i personally know like where i'm comfortable hunting i guess not even comfortable just what i have the most information on is not going to be open because there's too many hazards from the burn mm-hmm. and then it's well it's all burned so they're going to utilize it different and that doesn't scare me but it's just the ability to get back in there and get to work is not there right now you know so what's going to change as it gets drier through the summer yeah it just burns but that's not necessarily going to change their level of letting people access right so i'm forced to kind of just dig into my notes on what did I see? Did I see those little alder thickets last year and some of those other places that I was able to dabble in? Yes. Did I see those bull rubs on certain elevations of, let's just say a slope and not elevation like 4,800. I mean like a quarter of the way up, a half way up, three quarters of the way to the top of the ridge, like stuff like that. Yes. I have all that, but I'm very curious to see, what displacement has done for the entire area 
right? Because I may be encountering a significant amount of different animals also that, yes, I have my data from last year pre-burn, but what animals got displaced and are utilizing that area that came from the burn, right? if that makes sense, yeah, and then, which will also change the, the dynamic. And another aspect of that is if those burn areas are off limits, um, that that's going to increase the hunting pressure um, in the areas that, uh, that aren't off limits. So that, that uh, poses a challenge in itself. Yeah. But so control what you can control, right? Yep. And when it comes to elk, this is where, you know, to get back to our original conversation on data is king or my original comment on data is king. If you know your opponent, you don't need to worry about who else is after your opponent. You can face them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I don't give a rat ass about how other people are hunting it because I know what adjustments I'm going to need to make given the opportunity to hunt it. You know what I mean? Like I, I know where I'm going to go and why I'm going to focus on what I'm focusing on. And that becomes data too. You know, you got to understand what are these, you know, I'm not going to touch on this too deep because that'd be another hour long conversation. But for all these guys that are crying about like he didn't bugle and they were supposed to be bugling, but they weren't. And that's why we didn't kill nothing. This the elk just weren't talking. They weren't responding like, well, one, what is the response to you? Is it to have to bugle back to respond or is breaking a stick a response? Mm-hmm. Is running away a response at that? I would, I would argue that all of those are responses. If it does something, if it reacts to whatever you do, it is responding. Right. So, I think that you got to be able to adapt and, you know, in a world where everybody and their brother knows how to blow the same five elk calls and listens to the same 10 people talk about it. You really just need to start to understand. Once you start to understand behavior, you can eliminate all the other shit. It, it really, it cuts down on the excuses because when you understand behavior, then it will, you won't have the conversation. Well, he didn't bugle back at me. So how was I supposed to know he was there? You know what I mean? Right. Because I know what I'm looking for now and I know where to go find him, where he's at. That's how I'm not worried about. He wasn't there. I went to where he was and I was able to do that because I understand data and I understand my opponent more than anything. And that's a, so that's behavioral, a biology, big, big deal, man. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll cover that. You have some probably pretty killer guys that you have conversations with in general that are far more knowledgeable than I am even. But, you know, I'll tell you that the the tables are changing. The tide is changing, if you will. Like, if you're looking at hunting elk the same where you were five years ago, you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong because maybe you've killed elk every five years and why would I change what I'm doing? That's fine. Do what you're doing. But five years ago, not everybody and their brother used the same 10 reads and bugled the same 15 bugles. Well, you hear, you hear that with, you know, you talk about calls, right. It's like the hoochie mama, right. For, and, 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 you know, Oh, everybody was blowing the hoochie mama. Now you listen to guys and it's like, Oh man, don't use that hoochie mama. That elk knows exactly what that is. I mean, so you hear it. Right. And, and can I, can I place any fact on that? No, but I'm going to, 
err on the side of caution and maybe I have it in my repertoire, but maybe it's not my go-to, right? And that's the beauty of, of all of it, right? I mean, hunting in general, the beauty of it is, is that you can, you can personalize this, right? To suit you. Um, you know, what, what are your, you need to. yeah. What are your strong suits? What are your weak suits? But I think in general, a weakness is not collecting the data and not using that data in your repertoire. I think, and that's one of the reasons, and, and you've done phenomenal with that, right? To where, you, you know, like I said, you, you called me and said, Hey, I put him to bed. I hung, you hung up the phone and I told my boy that bull done effed up now. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I go, he put him to bed. He knows exactly where he's at. He's dead. He's dying in the morning. Oh, yeah. uh, and without yeah. a shadow of a doubt, like yeah, I was, to a, to confident. A 30 pack right. and, <laughs> yeah. and I was confident in that because I know, I know where you're at in terms of analyzing every bit of information that is input, not to say that you don't miss some of the input, no. right. But <laughs> and that's part of the game. Yeah. But the ability that's to part of the game. take that stuff, those nuances and utilize those nuances and not rely on uh, one thing we, we, and we're running out of time, but we didn't even really talk like calling strategy. Right. Um, and, and I think your approach to calling, right. Is understanding all the data, what time of year, what's their behavior? Why are they in that behavior? Are they still in the bachelor groups? Is this guy running with the bachelor groups, but now he's separated, he separates from them and doesn't bed with them. Understanding the data is is even affecting your calling strategy, but the ability to go out on opening morning, two years in a row, right? Two years in a row on opening morning and say a bull is dying here today, that's a big deal and cannot be discounted. Yeah, no, I'm three for three. You count my group. I'm this year. I didn't kill a bull, uh, but I don't really care because I got to watch one of my best friends do it well, after that, I said, no, nah, that's not what I'm looking for. And no, <laughs> so I could have killed the bull about three minutes before then if right. I wanted to. I just chose not to. Right. But, but <laughs> un I understand that. Right. But, but so, you know, yeah. and not to discount Anthony, um, and, and yeah. his ability, but he was using what you've collected. Right. And, and that's not that that is why I'm saying, you know, another bull, you know, on opener. Yeah, um, because it was about that data. Right. And and I'm sure that he would he would admit it without, you know, without a problem in the world. Um, but the ability to say that bull is dead. And I and I give you guff about it. Right. All the time. Like, you know, I, I wish you to kill a bull in September because you guys open in August just to break your cycle, just to bust your balls. Yeah, you need to stop all that bad. <laughs> You're making it complicated as these season dates come closer and closer to the end of August. And, and, but, but last year you made it tough. I had two days try to kill one and you know, <laughs> wish that bad juju on me but. but the funny but the funny part about it right and, and and it's in you know i don't wish anybody an unsuccessful hunt right but the funny thing right. is is yeah. i know i know with what you do that you are going to seal the deal um and and it's you know you you can't you can't beat when somebody has something figured out whatever the methodology is when someone has something figured out you know that they're just gonna go nail the f 
fucking nail. You know what I mean? That hammer is going to hit and it's, <laughs> it's driving that some bitch in. So it, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty that, impressive. You know, we, we called you with Anthony, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Didn't we? I think, yeah, we did. We did. You said, uh, you said, FaceTime me. Let me see it already. What is it? Did you kill a troll or did Anthony kill one? I yeah. think is what you were telling. Yeah. Me. I mean, but, but think about that, right? I mean, that's a, that, and not just, it, that's the thing, right? And it's not just in any bull situation. Um, no, that that's that's no. impressive. You know, it is impressive. And, and I think it says a lot about the data collection and geeking out on elk a little bit more than geeking out. You know what I mean? It, it's getting into these little nuances that I think are discounted. And that's why I want to have the conversation. Um, yeah, yeah no. And I appreciate the opportunity more than anything. And dude, one thing I want to encourage people on is, you know, we're talking about this is like we're laughing and like, I like, let me make this clear to your audience. Like I ate my elk tag this year. And I remember when me and you were talking about like after the laughing and joking and like high-fiving virtually, if you will, over like Anthony punching his tags. I remember me and you having the conversation. Well, like, well, what do you feel like? And I was like, I remember having that, that, that reality, like that real talk, like, what I feel is that I probably just passed on my opportunity for the season, but to watch somebody else get to experience that, I said, my, regardless of what is to come, it doesn't change that I'm not going to go and grind it out and see it through into September, which you jinxed me personally on that, you know, <laughs> who, who won that one guy. We'll see you next year, motherfucker, you know, but like, <laughs> but like for me to be able to like, like that's a surreal thing in itself. Like I legitimately, like said, not what I'm looking for. Hey guys, do you guys want to kill this bull or do you want to keep walking? Like, what do you want to do? And then your buddy kills the bull. Like, yeah, send it. <laughs> that, that is something that will go down. And like, there's a little bit of pressure on me with Anthony because I'd been joking with Anthony for three weeks and 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 the reason i was joking with them is not being cocky it's more of just trying to insert confidence because i think confidence kills so oh I absolutely that's a mis- under that's a misunderstood thing like i get beat more than i than i win like i get beat all the time by these animals half the time i don't even see them until it's time to kill them outside of trail cameras or you know what i mean like sign like i don't see them until it's that time for us to dance and the thing is I beat it into Anthony's head for you know, like the last two months before opening day. Like, so you ready to go out opening morning, kill a bowl and be drinking whiskey by eight. And he was kind of like, you know, like, all right, motherfucker, we'll right. see, blah, 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 blah. And to be able to like hand that flash to your buddy fist pounding him as he walks up on his first bowl. I well, pass my bulls every year for that experience with somebody did. But also, year. I mean, think about the lesson for him, right? That's when the light came on for him was like, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, wow, this is, this <laughs> is real, right? Like, this is real. Like, dude, yeah. Everything you said leading up to this and how it was going to play out. And that's what I was saying a few minutes ago is the predictability on your part to take that data and say, this is what's going to happen. Dude, with any animal, it's amazing. But with an elk, 
to me, it's even more amazing, right? I mean, it's just because there's these these nuances that we have to put together to make that and to be able to say, I'm going to capitalize on this day, whether it be, you know, I mean, what is it open the 28th of August? So I'm going to have one dead yeah. before September and I'm trying to jinx it and say, no, you're not because haters going to hate. <laughs> oh, right. And, and still be able to capitalize on it. And that again, data is huge and not discounting what you're learning and what you're collecting and recording that and learning from that is a big, big deal in the elk game. Yeah. And then like, there's the other thing that, you know, we didn't touch on this much, but this is important for those guys that are at a different level of the pursuit, say that they killed a couple elk, but now they're trying to kill like an elk, elk, like, or a elk, the bull. Mm -hmm. Like you need to understand that the bull, his data, as much as it's the same, it is very, very different. And like, and me and you've talked about this like in depth, but like, uh, and I'm not saying this like I'm the great white elk hunter or nothing like that. Obviously, I'm a little too tan to be, be that. White. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, but you know, I'm no, I'm no, I'm not some professional that this is what I do for a living or nothing. I'm not a guide that, you know, like I'm killed a hundred elk in four years, like James Nash and these guys that are incredible at what they do. So I'm not trying to discount any of their skill set. But like for me, this data thing changed my mentality to where like i don't want to settle for any elk and like you said it earlier like you're not hunting any bull you know you briefly kind of touched on that like you're absolutely right guy i am not hunting any bull and i proved that to you this year because i very much could have the nomenclature of i'm three for three on opening morning in a matter of minutes but i chose to go a little bit more of a challenging path for myself and say I'm looking for this kind of bull mm -hmm. and when it wasn't that it was let's not let that opportunity go to waste on somebody else that's going to appreciate this experience so if you're that guy that's looking for a different experience be steadfast in the data that you've collected in killing those younger bulls and reflect on that to know like there's instances where you'll know, like if I wouldn't have shot that bull or after I shot that bull, even this bull that I would have really liked to shoot did this. And I didn't even know he was there or all of a sudden he became like reflect on those moments because those, those data points right there are what are going to put you on the bull. You know what I mean? Heck yeah. Well, good deal, brother. We'll end it on that note, man. I think that was a, a good way to wrap that. I appreciate the time, man. I wish you the best uh, killing that elk. And uh, I will say early September this year. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Find, find a troll, man. You just, you just better hope I don't fucking get in the woods between now and then. That might be the case. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, again, well, I appreciate you yeah. having me on. Yeah, absolutely, I really do. Bro. I really, really appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity. And if there's anybody out there, like we very, very briefly touched on a lot of different stuff, and I spoke really fast. I know that because I'm super passionate about this, these critters and all their funk. And if you're not a turkey hunter, well, if you let me just make this disclaimer: if you 
compare elk to turkey, <laughs> then don't bother wasting your time messaging me because I don't see you as a human being. But if you're if you fit outside that category, then and you have any questions, and I can help anybody along their way, please feel free to reach out. I'm I'll share anything I got, you know. But you're gonna have to work for it on your own, and that's the one thing that I'll warn you about any of these little nuggets that you know that you're going to get from guys doing these elk episodes and different things that he's doing like you got to take what you're hearing and apply it to you like what i'm doing is not what you're doing you need to take those little things that help you and manipulate it to you and the end result of your season and your outcome 100 percent, it's in your own hands absolutely yeah if data is king then uh boots on the ground is the dictator Absolutely. All right, my brother. Good done. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.